Hi, my name is Tom Alston. I'm the founder and CEO of Aero Marine Tax Professionals. Here on the Winning Pitch broadcast, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'll be sharing the ins and outs of business management, improving your sales skills, building personal and professional wealth, and balancing it all with your personal and family life, excluding the part about balancing it with your personal life. Don't expect a filter because we're about to rustle some feathers. Have fun. Welcome to the Winning Pitch broadcast. I have a special guest from uh, British Columbia who is uh, Jeremy Drainville, and he has a special story to tell everyone, and you're going to be absolutely uh, motivated and Glad to hear his story. So, Jeremy, start out by introducing to the audience who you are, what you do for a living, and then let's get into your story. Hi, everybody. My name is Jeremy Drainville. I originally grew up in Quebec province in Canada and migrated to British Columbia 11 years ago. And I'm currently now a photographer. I shoot photos for a cat skiing lodge named Kiefer Lake. And I also started a a project titled Men in Tubs Calendar. And then so last year is my first edition of it. This has been a personal project that grew into something bigger. And I'm doing another one this year. And basically to bring it back to where I really started to become who I am now, I have to, I'll go briefly over when I, in my teens in high school, not much going on. I've 16 till 19 I was basically smoking weed every day and not motivated nothing going on and just so bored absolutely so bored and eventually moved to Mont Tremblant Quebec which is a ski resort in the likes of Whistler Canada which is like a big walking village at the bottom of the hill restaurants hotels and then this is where I'm like, wow, this is actually fun working when people are on vacation. I love this because <laughs> everyone I would come were tourists on vacation and they were happily, you know, I was becoming a server bartender. And so I was meeting people from all over the world. And it was really, I really had to start having more life in me. And then uh, after three years, I decided that I'm going to go move to British Columbia because I just wanted to snowboard bigger mountains and better snow more powder <laughs> and then so made the move to the Kootenays um, which is a region in Canada it's probably one of the best places in the world for for snow and the size of the mountain and the least amount of people around and the option in in the wilderness nice little small ski town and I lived in Rossland BC and then I moved to Ravelstoke and then I've been living in Nelson for the last eight years on and off um, and this is where I like, there's probably like 15 to 20 cat skiing, heli skiing company are all nestled in the Kootenays. So this is the Mecca for anything like backcountry, cat skiing, heli skiing, touring and all that kind of stuff. And then, so my love for the outdoors in the winter, just, just been living that in the winter. And then this spring I have been planting trees. Uh, which is a really lucrative uh, way to make money and also save time th throughout the year. So I could take the winter off and only snowboard. <laughs> Why don't you explain what planting trees as a money-making source really means? Because I imagine there's a whole bunch of people in the 
Philippines and South America at this time of the year who have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So in Canada, every logging company that gets hired by the mill to cut a piece of land, take the wood out of there. So the mill, by law, they're forced to replenish the ground. Okay. It's sampling of trees. They're not very big. I could put 300 trees in my bags and go and plant them in an hour. And then so depending on the degree of how hard basically is the ground to plant in, the more the tree planter will get paid per tree. So we get paid by production. So therefore, the, the guys who, and the girls who plant the most trees have the opportunity to make more money. So I've met some incredible, incredible athletes that are planting trees. They say that a tree planter will spend as much energy as a marathon runner would do for a marathon, but we do that every day for work. What time of the year does the planting usually occur? So in Canada, there's on the West Coast, like Vancouver Island, because the temperature is so much more mild. Some contract will start in February, March, April. And then the main season, we call it interior season, will start mid-April, and then it goes all the way till the end of June, and that's called spring planting. And then we have summer trees that starts in July, and then some of them goes up till the end of um, August. And all of these, it's all per contract, per company in different per province. So it's like I, I'm basically a con- go and find companies that have extra trees if I want to continue planting trees. And, and then there's another contract that starts in the fall. Uh, and that will go from September till the end of, so yeah, start of September till the end of September. Typically, what kind of trees were you planting? It ranges for so many different types. Like, you know, here in the Kootenays, we plant about five to six to seven different species. So we have cedar, spruce, uh, pine, um, larch, and so a bunch of other ones. What's the temperature like? in february while you're out planting these trees i what i because i used to live in up near fairbanks alaska and that was still winter to me it was still mm-hmm. really cold i have never planted in february i've yeah. only planted in uh in the fall like in the spring in the summer and the fall i've never because okay. because in february i'm snowboarding and i i that's what i do in the winter i used to okay. do a lot more and then so yeah, it's very lucrative and give us time. And a lot of people take their winters off to go traveling. Absolutely. A lot of tree planters are traveling all over the world for six months and then they come back. Um, but now for me, it's been 13 seasons of tree planting. I've also been a foreman for the last couple of seasons and two prior to that. My body is feeling it. And so my shoulder, my knees and my elbows, my wrists been getting a lot of injuries especially last last year and so i've been in transition the last few years with my photography basically in uh, march 28 2014 when i fractured my left knee snowboarding my patella this is where the shift happened for me and and who i became from there a lot of people would say that this could be the worst thing that ever happened to me like breaking my leg and i've been forced to sit down for two three months and because of that, I couldn't go and do my tree planting season, which was that more I, would, I could make like $20,000 in like three months, right? And that was a lot of money for me right throughout that time. And I couldn't do that. And then so I'm starting to really ask myself some different questions because I was sitting in my bed. And then the first one that came is I'm physically incapable of 
earning money. What am I going to do now? Good question. How did you answer it? Because, because all the jobs that I've ever had required me to be physically active. And and so I was like, well, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to have to figure it out because right now this is not enjoyable. So basically I just wanted to learn how to utilize my brain and start knowing who I am as a person. Because if I start understanding how I operate, then I can start making better decisions for myself. Okay. So what'd you come up with? So but that the next year, I since I've never been able to have a summer off and whatsoever because I've always been working. And since I was uh, disabled for a period of time, I decided to volunteer to four different music festival in British Columbia. And then As, so, what were you doing? And basically just help out set up the festival and being a volunteer for whatever they needed me to be, basically. But that allowed uh-huh. me to to meet a whole a flu of people you know like so many people so i met a lot of people i've seen a lot of different things and it allowed me to experience um a different kind of experimentation if you want and like asking people questions at festival because people travel from all over the world to go to those festivals so i have a question absolutely if what caused you to make this shift in what you do was kind of a survival thing. And you just said you were a volunteer, which to me means they weren't paying you. How did you survive it? Well, technically, um, there's a thing called uh, insurance employments in Canada. Okay. And so they, when people get laid off their work and have enough um, hours, uh, Canadian can receive um, income every two weeks. It's not substantial, but enough to keep, to keep going. Okay. And since and since I've been living fairly cheap, and uh, I had a van, and I was being fed by the festival, it kind of got me going for the for the for the summer. And then at the end of the summer, I reached out to a friend, and he's working construction. And uh, and at that point, I was able to walk, but I really needed to start um, moving and start making money because I ran out of uh, the insurance employment, and uh, so I started working construction. And so that's take, kind of take me back a little bit. Mm-hmm. You were you were in the bed. You were dis- partially disabled, so you decided that you needed to do something. And what you did was you volunteered to go out and help set up festivals, which had to be very active. How did you accomplish that? So at that at that point, it's already been two three months, and I was able to walk. Okay. Right. It's not how I was completely disabled. And then so I was able to move around by, you know, light duty, just like handing out tickets or, or serving or. You know. So you weren't setting up stages or bleachers or anything like that? Uh, not really. A, a little bit. But, you know, because I'm a volunteer, they, they're not going to push people hard to be like working, you know, extremely insane hours. You know, I mean, it's a bit more relaxed environment and that type of stuff. Um, and then but so that was just a little part of what was coming up for me. And so um, by work, starting working with my friend on timber framing was kind of a interesting key point looking back on, on, on what happened with me afterwards. So I worked construction for the rest of the, the fall. And uh, in the winter, I just went in pretty big depression at that point. Didn't really have much work. I was working only on the weekends and uh, was in snowboard. It was the worst winter in the last 20 years. There was basically ice everywhere. So no one was really skiing or snowboarding and it was terrible out there. And then 
so that's starting to change a lot for me and um after this winter i went back tree planting to make some money so now we're at about 2015 16 2015 and i'm going back tree planting to make uh, a chunk of money to help myself and then uh get physically back in shape and help my knee be a lot stronger so every day going and when i'm saying tree planting Maybe you're thinking about a flat land that looks like a farmer's field, but that's absolutely not the case. No. <laughs> I've been in mountainous that. country. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like this all the time. It's like yeah. it's on a steep hill going up and down with heavy bags. And then so it, it, it allow me to get physically back in shape with my body. And mm -hmm. then and then uh, to continue my summer of work, I went back working with my friend. And interestingly enough, I end up on the work site to build Kiefer Lake Lodge, which is the cat skiing lodge that I actually work at right now, shooting. Awesome. Right? So that was the first time I've learned about this project being built. And it's like a beautiful lodge. It's like a $6 million lodge and brand new cat skiing operation. And, and you're gonna send you're gonna send us some photos of those, right? Oh, I can I wanna, totally want to see it. Absolutely. And that's make sure that when we're done, you send the photos and make sure that you send the, the website. I'd like to see the place. Absolutely. You, you'll be amazed that uh, Jeff, uh, the general manager, did an unbelievable job of being the general manager for the bill and then running the actual operation right now. And it's completely off grid. So we have a micro hydro system and generators, solar power to help. How, how do the guests get to the lodge? Uh, it's is one of the few lodge where I, we can actually drive to it. Really? Um, and a lot of the lodges is to fly in. So people would fly in a helicopter get, to get to, and it's a bit annoying because there's require more, like you can't bring as much stuff that you like to bring and you have to pack it in a bag in a certain way and everything is calculated and there's a lot of waiting around. So the beauty, beautiful part about this, that people can roll into the lodge, we set them up in their room, have a drinks at the bar, and then the next day we'll go cat skiing. But um, that's what it is now. But at the time I was building the lodge and um, I this is when I really started to tap into more of a personal development type of uh, thing for myself to start learning about who I am and help myself out. And How did also, you do that? And starting listening to podcasts. Okay. Can you, can you then, tell me some of the people that you were listening to? Uh, the big, biggest influence at the time was Joe Rogan. Okay. Because he, he was speaking to interesting people. And not only that, he was having conversations. So he was curious about whatever the other person was sitting in front of him or uh, that was talking about. And oftentimes I kept hearing about ayahuasca. And I mentioned to you, to you uh, last time we talked and you had no idea what it is. And so I was like, what is that? Like, I've never heard that term before. And so it got, it got me interested. And he's been talking to a lot of guys in the MMA, UFC, that um, after their career, they, they start going down to South America and do ayahuasca retreat. So basically, spell it, spell it for the listeners so they make sure that they understand <laughs> what you're saying. Uh, absolutely. So ayahuasca is A Y A H U A S K, uh, no, C A, ayahuasca. I think I got it right. Anyway, okay. it's, it's along those lines. I'm sure if you type it in, you'll be able to find out. And basically, ayahuasca is a plant medicine from South America that help people uh, deal with internal belief system and help them connect them with themselves 
and it's a it's a psychoactive plant ingre, ingredient well it's a okay. brew basically it's a mix of certain plant that allows the ayahuasca to be active and then okay. so the main ingredient of the ayahuasca is dmt okay and dmt we actually produces it in our body from the pineal gland but our body breaks it down before it actually gets to work on us unless they say then when we die because it doesn't get broken down this is when we start the connection from the spiritual world so when okay. we pass when we die our spirit would be going to the spiritual world because of the dmt release in our body so it's very interesting and uh, so it caught my attention and so that whole year of like where i've been depressed and then the winter and then i went back tree planting again and then uh no that's not true so after building the lodge i decided i'm gonna embark on a journey to go to peru and do a full transformational retreat okay over there and so I had a friend who just actually came back from Peru that summer. And she talked to me about a place that she went to called Tierra Mitica. And then so I logged on and went and checked out their website. And then they had, they had a six-day retreat at the end of January. And So now we're in 2017 or 2018? Yeah. I always have a hard time remembering my years because I do so many different things. And it just feels like I, yeah, I'm more in like seasons. Okay. <laughs> And then, um, so yeah, I lined up all my flights and when, yeah, after the New Year's, went down to Ecuador for a week, 10 days, and then went migrated south to Peru to the ayahuasca retreat. And they had a five-day event where they invited 18 different artists from all over the world to come paint the story of grandmother ayahuasca at their retreat center. And it's like this big mural on the circle and it's beautiful. So I was there for five days. And uh, I think it was day three or day four, the shaman got a meeting with everybody. I was there just as an attendee and a volunteer basically. And then, okay. so he got everybody and things got out of hand. And I got triggered immensely to the point where I'm like, these people are crazy. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. I packed my bags and I was about to walk down this 26 kilometer road, which in miles would be uh, not exactly sure, but maybe like uh, 12 or 13 or 14 miles. Yeah, you just multiply it by five eights and you'd get real close to the number. <laughs> five eights, eh? Yeah. <laughs> not 2.3 or something like that? No. <laughs> And then so uh, I was ready to walk down this road because I was like, these people are crazy. I don't need them in my life. And then as I walked by the building where they were having the people, the energy was a lot more calm and there was no more yelling and people were actually having a conversation. So I was like, whoa, 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 what's, what's going on here? So I sat by the building and this is when I start looking inwards. And I was like, I traveled all the way to Peru to figure out my shit. I'm at the place where these guys are going to help me out. And I'm about to walk down this road to where, where, and then this is, this is the key moment in my life when I ask myself, when am I going to stop running away from my problems and face them? Good ask. Great question. Right. So tell me about what went through your mind and what decisions you made and how it worked out. Yeah, so at that point, I was just like, I need to start figuring out what's happening with me inside of me. 
And then at that point, I decided to stay for the remainder of the five-day event. And I was supposed to do a six-day retreat at the end of the month, which was three weeks after that, that event at the retreat center. And then I knew they had a 12. So the six-day retreat is more like an introduction. And they have the 12-day retreat, which is a full transformational retreat. Okay. And it's at that point I was like, I need to do the 12th day because I am here right now. I need to go as deep as possible to really figure it out. Because if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Right. You're there. I have nowhere to go. And then so this is when I decided to sign up for the 12-day retreat. But long story short, they didn't have enough room for me to do the 12-day retreat. So they told me to come back for the sixth day at the end of the month, which I did. I came back. And when I showed up. Where did you go when you left? Because now you're still in the middle of Peru. Well, Tom, what would you do for three weeks, uh, for two weeks in Peru? I just went and traveled all over the country. Okay. It was a beautiful, amazing scene like yeah. the mountains. And the One of my sons w- went to Peru a year and a half ago because he always wanted to do that hike up to the Machu Picchu. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he did that. You know, it's amazing, amazing pictures he sent back. But mm-hmm. I'm too lazy to walk around up and down mountains. But I'm glad he went and I'm glad I got his pictures. Well, you know what? There's a bus that drives you all the way to the top. You don't even have to climb it. Oh, okay. <laughs> there we go. Um, but anyhow, so when I came back to the retreat, they usually have 10 to 12 people that attends the retreat, and there were only four people. Okay. And that's my judgment. My judgment is that I judge that they needed extra money for whatever reason. They were tight on cash for their retreat because they were just – at the start of their retreat and they were expanding, building new building. And so they offered me to do a 12 day retreat instead of a six right there. And so I decided to agree to do it. But because of that, I had to cancel flights. I had to basically lose. I was going to a music festival in Costa Rica that was directly after the retreat. But because it's staying longer would overlap with it, I had to cancel all that which I would have been meeting some of my friends in Costa Rica on the beach, on the ocean. Imagine that with a mm-hmm. music festival. I, I had to give that up. I had to give something up in order to change something. I'm yeah, sure Grant, you, Grant Cardone says exactly. that all the time. If you want to change. The first thing you got to do is give something up. I was just about to bring that up. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so I decided to give that up, stay longer, pay an extra $1,200 and really get down to really what was going on with me and best decision I've ever done in my life. And long for the 12 day, like taking the ayahuasca in the evening with ceremonies is like very, very difficult. And uh, every time I would drink the ayahuasca, it would be for a period of five or six hours. I would be laying down and not moving and basically starting a conversation with the grandmother ayahuasca with the shaman recommendation of asking her certain questions and trying to dig, basically digging in my subconscious. I had extremely hard time doing that. I would get so high and like a different planet, things would be flying everywhere because it's a psychoactive ingredient in ayahuasca and DMT is one of the most potent uh, psychoactive ingredient on the planet. And so I was struggling a lot and each night, I would puke so much afterwards and it's like absolutely disgusting. I can just only think 
about drinking a little cup of that thing and I'm my body just wants to like start convulsing and throwing up just thinking about it. So yeah. are you bragging or complaining? I'm not oh quite my sure. God, oh my God. But the two most important things that before we do the ayahuasca retreat, like a ceremony in the evening, we always have a sit down with the shaman in the afternoon and he would really dig in, in my story and who I am to understand what my belief system is. And what did you discover during that? That must have been really interesting. Yeah. And the way he operates, he's not there to be nice. He's there to tell the truth. And a lot of times the truth will trigger people and myself. This is what he does to people. He makes them angry. He makes them mad. He makes them want to swear and beat him up because he's hitting things inside of us that no one ever brought up because they were afraid of our reaction. And so the biggest question he asked me is, after speaking with me about my past, my family and that kind of stuff at that time, he turned at me and looked me dead in the eyes. He's like, is your dad a loser? And I just wanted to the talent, you know, to F off. And that's not true because I love my dad, but I couldn't, couldn't say anything. I was blocked. I wanted to say it, but deep down I was like, oh my God, I totally believe that my dad's a loser. I've never admitted that to myself. Therefore, I never looked into it because this is the paradox. I love my dad. He provides for my family. I've never missed anything. But on the other side, I think my dad's a loser because he's never been follow his dream. He works a job that he likes, but it's not the job that he'd been wanting to do in his whole life. So what kind of job did he want to do? You know, my dad grew up on the farm. He wanted to have a farm and continue that. My dad hasn't been working on a farm for over 30 years now. But at that point, I realized that I think that my dad's a loser. And ultimately, I believe that I am a loser. So because that could of be that, devastating. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But because that I know about this belief now, and this is what the shaman, his name is Mikis. And what he says is, if I am wrong, please tell me. Because if I am wrong, I can change it. A victim, it's not their fault. It's someone else's fault. It's society's fault. It's the government's fault. They're never actually claiming their part of responsibility. Therefore, they cannot change anything because it's beyond them. So at that point, I was always been a victim of my circumstances and never took action and responsibility of what was happening in my life until I made that decision to not run away from my problems anymore. The second thing I learned at that retreat is for me is to go towards my fears and my and resistance because it means something to me. So like, give me an example of what you just said. Absolutely. So Tom, for you, if I'm talking to you about Walt Disney, what's coming up for you? Being really cold because I went to Disneyland right after it was really first built and it was February <laughs> in Southern California and it was cold. Yeah. And, so I, was, you- and I was really short and I walked <laughs> under the ride thing so I couldn't get on the ride with myself. It was what I hate Disneyland, I just have to tell you. And that's probably why. But uh, So you don't really care about it. So there's not much emotion coming up for you right now. No, not really. Right? No, it's, it's my choice whether I go there or not. It's my choice whether I want to give them $2,000 a day and eat too much food that I shouldn't be eating. But, you know, uh, the kids love it. My, my grandchildren love it. And so but, every once in a while, they talk me into it. Yeah, absolutely. But what I'm trying to get to is... You don't really feel much going on in your body when I think about Walt Disney. But if I talk to you about 
your business, your podcast, your career, you know, the people you want to surround yourself with, you might start feeling something inside because it means more to you. And then so therefore for me at that point, because I've always steer away from my fears because, oh, it's, I'm afraid of this. I don't, I'm just not going to do it. But for me, it just me, I have to reconfigure what resistance and fear means to me. And it's basically that it means something to me. So there's something important for me to go and check it out. Well, it's a good thing you didn't ask me how I feel about snow because then a lot of stuff comes up. <laughs> but you know what? There might be a lot of good things about it for you. Yeah. The good thing about snow for me is I stay away from it. As long as it stays <laughs> away from me, I'm really happy. I just, I don't like cold weather. I, I, it, I used to go down to Mexico and I used to own a house in La Paz, which is, if you know where the Sea of Cortez is, it's just right above, that's 133 miles northeast of uh, Cabo San Lucas. I like the warm weather. I like it. I like it when the 118, 120 degree days. I like <laughs> being close to the ocean. I like the fact that the water temperature in the ocean is always 88, 89 degrees because I don't like cold water either. Yeah. So all I can think of when I think of snow is being cold. And so, and I get cold real easily and my normal body temperature is like 96.8, not 98.6. It's a good thing you didn't ask me about it because then I didn't tell you about it. But the thing about coal, it doesn't mean that it's bad. I don't see any good in it other than ice cubes in a, in a drink. How's that? <laughs> but it doesn't mean that coal is actually bad. It's just the meaning that we attach to it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I um, a billion percent agree with you. I just don't like it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I get real ridgy when I think about being cold. Just on a tangent here, last winter, I've been going in the lake in Nelson every day for at least 30 seconds to a minute. And the water temperature is probably, what, 48, 42, something? Like uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you in American numbers. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's definitely cold. It's in the middle of the winter. There's snow everywhere, you know? Okay. So you use centigrade, right, instead of Fahrenheit? Degrees, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when I came back from the ayahuasca retreat back to Canada, I was faced again with another crucial moment in my life, basically, at this point. I came back to Canada with no job, no home, no place to live, no car, and no more money because I spent it on booking new flights and get the money back from the old flights, canceling all the stores, stuff, all the little bit of money I had left to, when I was supposed to come to Canada. I was actually at zero and minus. Okay. So this is when I asked myself, based on what I learned at the ayahuasca retreat, is what am I the most afraid to do with my life right now? What did you decide? And then I didn't decide it because I already knew the answer. It took me 10 seconds to figure it out because that little voice inside of me, I've always wanted to do this, but I've always shut down because of whatever reason I was giving it came back to, I want to go back to school. No, I'm afraid to go back to school to become a photographer. So of course that's what you did, right? Yeah. So this when I, I know stopped. what Grant always says, move towards your fears. It's called exactly. So at that point, I stopped thinking and I started acting. Went online, find a school, start applying for it, and then so I came back in February, and then in uh, October I started school. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. And and how long did you go to school? It was a year, twelve months straight. So it's a okay. condensed two year and one year. Um, basically, every third month we would have two weeks off. And then we keep going the whole year. And I 
I was terrified going to school. They were younger kids. And I was like, what the hell am I doing here? I don't like, I don't even want to be a photographer. I'm scared the shit out of it. You know, it also allowed me to bring more structure back in my life. Okay. Because over the years of snowboarding and partying, I never used an agenda. I don't use watches. I don't book things in advance. And then, so I needed some structure to help myself to reorganize my stuff and over the years, there's definitely some highs and lows, and I graduated with the um, honorary honor student award of my class. Okay. So I graduated with the highest mark, if you want, of the class. And okay. and right after that, I talked with Jeff, the owner of Kiefer Lake Cat Skiing Lodge, where they just finished building the lodge the winter prior to it, and uh, he was looking to have some audition for new photographers. So it came back full circle where I went to the cat skiing lodge. I actually built myself part of the okay. framing crew. And, well done. Uh, you know, it's, uh, and I can never done that if I never broke my leg that summer, right? You got to look for the good in everything. It's like I, I looked for the good in this whole government lockdown of things that it forced me to think about doing and forced me to do that, hey, that does work. Or I would have never tried it if it hadn't been for that. I still hate it, but I'm willing to do something. And I admit that I've gotten some positive benefits out of it. So it's just, it's a mindset more than anything else. Absolutely. One of the things that I say about this lockdown is it's easier to get in contact with people right now. Because you know where they're at. They're all home. Everybody's in front of their computer, in front of their phone. And so we can connect with people in a different way or actually like reach out to people that are in higher status, you know, reach up, reach up to the people that we don't even know and have a conversation that would like grab a piece of information that we actually shift some stuff in ourselves, you know? Yep. And I'm like so happy and glad and thankful that we get to do this. We absolutely do not know each other. And this is like very interesting. It's the first time I'm doing podcasts like this and it's been a great experience so far. So take me through how you got connected to Grant Cardone. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so after school and started to work with Kiefer Lake, I went back tree planting, but I was like, I can't stop learning now. I'm just starting. So I'm on Instagram. I started to follow guys like Gary V and Tony Robbins and Kerwin Ray. And I was just feeding myself with this personal development content that these guys were delivering. And then so I'm starting to open my mind more about what's possible out there, what kind of retreats or what kind of like seminar I can go to because I've never done any of that. Mm-hmm. And then by start doing like this and then you know how Grant goes, he he's out there. So eventually I start seeing his face as an ad and I was like, oh, whatever, whatever. And then I eventually, uh, I think it was a podcast interview he did with, can't remember exactly who, but it might've been with Kerwin Ray. And I was just like, I listened to the whole hour And I was like, wow, this guy, his language, his choice of words is very powerful, very powerful. And I was like, I got to check this guy out. It's funny how much integrity he communicates to people. You could just listen to him. And at least I'm telling you now what I got from the first time I listened to him. It just, I trust him. I believe that he believes what he's doing. I, I don't think there's an evil cell in his body. And I just, when he communicates, I listen to him. And he communicates much the way the shaman did to you. you Absolutely. Know, I was just right about to your, something like that. Right in your face, he's constantly doing corrections. Why are you doing that? He's asking you questions. He's not accusing you of things. He's asking mm-hmm. you questions. And I, 
operate, when I deal with my employees, I tell them that I know you know the answer to everything. I'm just mm. going to keep asking you questions until you look in your mind and you remember what the answer is. And it's a little strange to some people, but, you know, it, it's just I kind of figured out a long time ago that it was better to operate from the viewpoint of training people to use their own knowingness to do things because it, then it's their own. They own it. And, you know, I probably said own too many times in that sentence, but it's just, you know, being connected to Grant has been one of the, one of the best things I ever did. And it sounds like you pretty much feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so I've been like, not necessarily listening to too many of them, but I definitely had my favorite, but I was kept going back and forth to all those guys and picking up little pieces here and there until one day I listened to a podcast with Grant or a short clip where he said, it was like, this is all great watch, listening to all these guys or mentors and all that kind of stuff, but don't dilute the product by going wide. I don't care if you pick me or someone else, but pick one or two guys or gal and then go deep because there's way more learning than going deep with one person than going everywhere a little bit, even though. Yeah, because what happens is you're going to get, if you let's say you're listening to four guys and they're all, they all have different points of view. Mm-hmm. No matter what their success is, they have a different reason or a different solution or a different story they want to tell you. And you get, you're, you're taking all this in, but you're just one being and you're getting mm-hmm. four different points of view. And it, it can get real confusing for you when you're trying to establish a foundation of what you're going to use to make your decision. So that's why he tells you that if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to put a foundation in a building, you got to go deep. It, 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 if there's no uh, foundation for the building, it's going to fall down. And that's Absolutely. the analogy that he uses all the time. So Absolutely. I really appreciate when he does that. So what was the most significant thing that you got from Grant? I mean, lessons, not, not a thing. He's consistent. His message doesn't change. Right. And I remember, I can't remember who was talking with him, but he says like, Grant, for all the great qualities you have, I cannot say you're consistent is, being consistent is not valued as a great quality sometimes for a lot of people, you know, you're always, your message is the same no matter what. And like, but that's what makes someone great is the consistency and what they're capable of doing every day. And so really enjoy his consistency, his will of thinking big, obviously the 10 X movement and like, and then, yeah. So when I decided I'm going to go deeper with this guy, I literally just learn about him like a week prior. And then I, I booked my ticket to the growth con last winter. And then so, so you were there in Vegas. Yeah. I was there in Vegas last February. And yeah, so, uh, was, so my wife and I were there too. Amazing. Yeah. I've been, and, I've been to every one of them. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I was just like, I got to, this is my new f- music festival scene now is like going to those events where it can actually start connecting with people that want more in life and people that are actually making moves. Awesome. Awesome. So what changes have, well, let's see, let's go back a little bit. You went to Peru, you came home, you realized that you had no money, no future, no life. And you Mm -hmm. made a decision to become the photographer that you always were inside. Mm -hmm. How is that decision working out for you? It's been incredible from the point during school where I was like, I was learning about photography, but internally I was like, I'm, I was keep saying to myself, I'm not a photographer. 
because mm-hmm. I show up there, I didn't, I knew nothing about photography. I did not know anything. I know how to hit the button and that was it. Right. Me too. I still <laughs> that I still have that level of knowledge. So um, as the year progressed through the, the whole year, eventually I was like, uh, maybe I could be a photographer. You know, the internal ch- language started to change. And eventually I was like, I could totally be a photographer. Now I could say that I, I, I could shoot photos and, and being somewhat successful at it. And uh, so last summer I started a new project that, that I started in photography school and it was the men in tubs calendar. I decided to just go forward with it and just put all my time and effort into producing those photo shoots, putting it together in a calendar and getting it out to the public. And as I was photographing mostly my friends, um, one of the guys said, Hey, why are you not raising money for charity or that kind of stuff? And I was like, that's not a bad idea. And uh, at that point I've been part of a now of a men's circle. Are you familiar with what a men's circle is? Spell, are you saying M-E-N-Z or M-E-N-S? S. Uh, no. A men's, a, men, a men's circle. Sorry, my French sometimes gets in the way of me pronouncing everything the way you would like to hear it. <laughs> no, I, I can hear it any way you want to dish it out. I just may not understand it. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So a men's circle is a place where a man can go to feel supported, give support emotionally, learn how to connect with his feelings, emotions, also heal past trauma with trained facilitators. Okay. So I've been part of the men's, another really interesting part about the men's circle is there is a guy named Nate Fisk, who also lived in Nelson, BC, which I've never met in my life. He went to the same ayahuasca retreat that I went to, but after I was there. Okay. So while he was there for three months, so he's been battling addiction with cocaine and alcohol for years, and he was in the AA and beat it, and then he decided to go and do the retreat at Peru for three months and work with the shaman. And so okay. while he was there, they always heard stories about, he heard stories about me that I was li- also living in Nelson, BC, and that I did the, um, uh, the Mythic Voyage full transformational retreat. Okay. Uh, and just a side note about that retreat, I'm the only person who ever done it, the Mythic Voyage, the 12-day retreat by myself. Most of the people are in a group of 10, 12 people. They could bounce ideas off and share stories together. Just because of the fact that when I showed up, there's only four people, and I'm the only one who actually ended up doing it. It's just of circumstances, but I did it. Well, you certainly got all the attention, though, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, attention to myself. <laughs> And then, uh, so he actually found me in the middle of the night on a dance floor at a music festival. He looked at my laugh and he's like, are you Jeremy? I'm like, who the hell are you? I have no idea. And we're like in a crowd in the middle of the night and he recognizes me, but never met me. And then, uh, he's been, uh, one of the facilitator at the men's circle. So he invited me to come. And this is for the first time in my life I showed up and I was like, wow, this is a, and it's a weekly meeting, and it's, it's a place to be able to be vulnerable. And I don't know if you heard of Brene Brown. Have you ever heard of her? I have not. So Brene Brown, is the, she studies shame and vulnerability. Okay. And uh, very powerful work that she, she does. If you could ever have her on your podcast, you're, you're going to be ringing the bell for victory. She's absolutely unbelievable, and she says that vulnerability is not weakness. But it's a, Are you connected to her? 
No, absolutely not. She's she's a big shot. <laughs> oh, now wait a minute. That, uh, you 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 kind of said that as if you're. I not. know you caught me. You definitely caught me though. You definitely. I'm gonna me. call you out, brother. Yeah, <laughs> I, love bad, I love it. That's a bad opinion of yourself. <laughs> uh, thank you for for pointing that out. And then so I, I started to do personal work at the men's circle, and uh, I decided to raise some money for the Nelson men's circle with the calendar. And I put up an event uh, in December where I had four speakers. I also had a slideshow of all the outtakes from all the photo shoots from all the men in tubs. Oh, man, I bet that was awesome. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, everyone is laughing their ass at that. And but the bigger point for that show for me is that I was going about to speak on stage about something that I held a silence for 10 years until I went to the, to the men's circle. And basically, Can you share that? Yeah, and I'll share it with you. And so I, uh, on stage, I, sh- I share about when I was 19, I got herpes the second time I've ever had sex with a girl. And then so for 10 years, I held the secret, the silence, and also the shame and the guilt that came with it for myself. So my self-confidence was very low. I've never dated a girl more than like three months for like a whole period of time because I was so afraid to actually say it to someone. Got it. And then so I made a speech on stage that about that and what it did for me and how I've been able to break the silence and that it's okay to be vulnerable and open up the door to a subject that is not talked about. Absolutely. So how did that making that speech change your life? To a certain point, another thing that I've been deep down inside of myself is I've always wanted to be like a public speaker. Okay. And so I created myself my own stage. If you remember in Vegas last February when Pete Vargas is talking about being on stage, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like this is your stage here right now. So I'm making moves like that. So I created my own stage to be able to give myself a chance to, to do what I actually want to do deep down and to start maybe a public speaking career in, in the future. Interestingly enough, there's a high school counselor that was in the attend. There was about 200 people that came to this event. And I had okay. my friend Nate, who's an addiction re- recovery coach, mm-hmm. who talked about his story. And I had a sex educator who talked about her story as well. So there was a lot of uh, emotion in the crowd and it was very powerful. And that's what I wanted to bring to people is like that it's okay to have events like that where vulnerability is like the number one. And uh, So how did it feel as you were walking off the stage and you've completed your presentation? Put us um, in the moment. What was the emotion that you were feeling? So for me, not necessarily a whole lot. And I'll tell you why. Okay. The stage yeah. is yours. Tell us why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the reason why I didn't have such high emotions after finishing my talk is because I've been through it in my own mind numerous of times before. You know, I, I was getting prepared in my mind, walking up on stage, telling my story, people clapping and, and cheering me on and then me walking out of the stage that when it actually happened, it didn't happen for the first time. It's kind of like doing role-playing out of your Cardone U. You. You, you do the drill and you, you we role-play. We do that here in the office every morning. Every morning we role-play our sales pitches. We role-play objections. 
Folks, what is what happens when you go out in the real world? It's easier than doing the role play. Why? Because you've already done it before. You, you're done. It's, it's, uh, you're flat on it. Absolutely. And it's the same thing I've heard, like Mike Tyson saying, like, he is the champ before he's the champ. You know, his, in, in his mind, he's already there. Yep. So when he actually became the champ, he's like, yeah, I've been knowing this my whole life. It's not something new. Like you guys didn't know, but I, I've been, that's all I've been doing my whole life is being the champ, right? I, yeah. Not necessarily to that whole degree, but that's how I felt walking up on stage. And there's still, I was the first speaker. I wanted to set the tone for the evening. So there was still the rest of the evening to, um, to go through. And I had to like make sure that things were working out well. So you were the opening act. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Got it. And, um, awesome. and, uh, I could also give you, uh, the YouTube, uh, link to it. I filmed it and it's on, on YouTube. And, and so if someone is interesting to hear about, uh, the actual talk is about 15 minutes long, 16 minutes long. And then, so I could give you, uh, you've got, link. you've got Dallas's in my email. Just send me the link. Yeah, absolutely. Love, love to see it. Yeah. Love to and, see and so this is where this high school counselor came and talked to me during inter, uh, intermission and she's like, Hey, I uh, really love what you, what you did on stage. And I would love for you to come speak at the high school about your story to help those teenagers. And I was like, wow, wow. I was just floored that because I put myself out there that I created myself an opportunity to do something that I actually want to do and become a public speaker. I actually didn't pan out but I'm still in contact with her and I would love to create something in the future with her or, and then maybe help out some, some people in high school. Cause I right out of high school, I started to deal with that, but I'm sure there's some, and no one ever talks about that in high school. Like it's not a, a thing that people talked about. Yeah, I agree. There's yeah. a whole lot of things. I went to a private high school until I got kicked out. and You don't talk about anything. No, I'm, I'm an inquisitive mind. Well, how come on Tuesday you said this and on Thursday you said that? Well, you need to go talk to the vice principal. Well, is he going to answer my question or not? And, you know, I, I, it's just the way I am. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm a curious kind of person, and, and I hate asking somebody a question and not getting an answer because you've wasted my time. <laughs> you know, I'm a professional student, even mm-hmm. though when I call someone else a professional student, it's usually – there's other foul words. I'm talking about kids and people who go to college over and over and over again. I remember once uh, my ex-wife's sister finally graduated from college. She was been going eight or nine years. I said, well, what are you going to do now? Well, I'm going to go for my master's. What are you going to do then? Uh, I'm going to go for my doctorate. What are you going to do then? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll probably teach. <laughs> Come on. What's the point of all this education if you're not going to do anything with it, especially as expensive it is as it is now? It's like, you know, in case you haven't detected, I'm not real fond of education, age educational systems, because most of what they tell you is propaganda and lies. And in this country, anyway, trying to convert you to the socialist agenda. And it's just wrong. It's, you know, I remember once I was invited back to my high school on a a career day and they took people that came from that high school and had companies and successful companies. And basically I left there Well, before I, while I was in the class, I asked kids, why are you going to college? Uh, My mom told me that. Well, it's the only way I'm going to make any money. I didn't go to college. I hate college, you know, and I have a successful company. So, and here's the most important thing I told them. 
the A students teach at colleges, which are funded by the C students who quit. Absolutely. It's not hard for me to do the math and figure out which I'd rather be. Absolutely. You know, just Yeah, there's definitely broken people teach broken people how to be broke. Yep. And that's all that they know how to do. And it's not their fault. It's just it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And that's that's the yeah, I'm not a not a, I know more about how we operate as individual and how this educational system operates. It's like it's tough. It's tough for me to to go down that route. And uh, but there lies the opportunity, though. There lies the opportunity. And um, so where I'm at now in my photography and like my personal development, I'm I'm I want to merge the both of them together. I'm trying to figure out a way to merge photography and personal retreat, personal development. And one of the thing I realized as well is um, I started a new project called the, the Friends Profile Project, which basically I've been wanting to do this with my friend on like, especially on Facebook that nowadays, like my friends, they don't really change their photos on their profile on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. It's not okay. something that we we do. We change them every like three, four, five, six years. Sometimes people ten years, right? And uh, some of my friend never had the opportunity to have a professional photo shoot to start with, and that in itself is an experience that might make them feel uncomfortable, right? With their confidence, their self image, and a whole lot of other things. And then so that comes in, in, into what I learned about going towards my fears and my resistance by creating a photo shoot for friends that are close of mine and give them an opportunity to have a really beautiful photo of themselves. That's going to be there for a long time and remind them about the experience that they had for the photo shoot and the little step they had to go towards being uncomfortable and what the end result is from that. And I'm sure that all the love they're going to receive on their new profile photo from all the other friends. It's a very interesting thing. So I'm doing this for me first and to also it's a way for me to give back because that's what i do now i, I shoot photos so my might as well shoot more photos because that's what i love to do well i can see that you're passionately you're finally passionately connected to what you're doing and you're less likely to break your other leg taking pictures than you were on the snowboarding i just take it from an old man i think well, unless you get up on ladders a lot well, I'll get up on anything to get the photo, Tom. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I still shoot photos while snowboarding now. Because when I, work, it, huh? when I work at the... Do you know what a cat ski operation yeah. is? I do not. So a cat skiing is... You know those big machines that grooms the ski runs? They have big tracks. Vaguely, I remember that I warned you that I don't go anywhere near snow and I don't, you know, what they used to call me, well, I, I was a chichaco, which is a, uh, I think it's an Eskimo word for people from the lower 48. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it probably isn't a very nice word, but, you know, <laughs> I just, you know, it, I like hot weather. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So this is like a big machine with tracks on, with a big blade in the front that we okay. can sit about 14 gas in the big box in the back with. And then so I go with them as a photographer and I go down the back country in powder and I photograph the gas skiing down and snowboarding down. Okay. So. I lied when I said it wasn't dangerous. You like the dangerous life. <laughs> You know, it's something that makes my heart go a little, a little, you know, I, I love it. Like when I used to snowboard, I used to love just 
going off cliffs. 10, 15, 20, you know, foot clock cliffs. I love to do that every day. It's just something that gets me going in the morning. <laughs> and awesome. then, yeah, so basically merging photography with snowboarding and getting paid. That's one thing now. But now it's finding how to... And one thing I was scared about in photography school is to photograph people. I was terrified. I hated it. I hated really? it. I, I've never been comfortable photographing people because of my self-confidence was very low. Okay. And like, I remember in high school, I wasn't able to cross eye contact with someone I was crossing in the hall. Well, I, I know 99% of the people in the United States are that way too. And yeah. when I used to coach sports, it was one of the very first thing I told all my baseball players look adults in the eye when you're talking to them and you're going to realize them. It makes them nervous because no one does it. And, you know, you can kind of, you can control the communication by just keeping the mm -hmm. eye contact with them. So, so those are skills that are teachable and learnable, right? And yeah. one of the first assignments I got in photo school was to go photograph 20 strangers. <laughs> And I just dreaded it. I waited till the last minute to do it. And I didn't want to do it. And I was like, I just, I have to do this. Like, and I, so I went out to the park and I literally walk up to people. It's like, Hey, I'm a photography student and I have an assignment to photograph 20 strangers. Can I take your photograph? And 99% of the people said, sure. What was that afraid of? You know, things that yeah. I created and then never actually went out. And it was an amazing day. I got to tell you. <laughs> so basically started asking these people and there's a cute girl that walked by ask her photograph her and i was like what are you doing right now she's like oh, i'm just walking like do you want to walk with me and then so we started walking together now that it was easier because i had someone walking with me to photograph someone else and by the end of it we were a group of four strangers walking together and just talking and enjoying and then it lasted like 15 20 minutes and then we went all our own ways but it was sort of magical because i put myself out there and i well done yeah absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you could tell one thing to yourself when you were graduating from high school, mm. what, would you, what, what would you go back and tell yourself? I hated high school. I was so bored. I didn't have anybody to show me something that was, could be fun and creative. And if I could tell myself one thing at graduating high school. And I, I, I yeah, um, just go for it. Whatever's going on inside that's tickling me instead of shutting that little voice because there's meaning to me to get there or there's an experience to have for me, just go and do it. Like not go away from fear, but go towards it. You know, that's I've it. probably asked 10,000 people that question and you want to know something to some degree. That's the answer mm -hmm. that they'll always give to their young self. Just go for it. Just go for it. What's the worst going to happen? You're going to get punched in the nose. You know, it heals. It might be a little crooked, but it heals and you survive it. I remember that I was probably in my mid-20s, 26 something or so, and I had never been in a physical fight. And a guy, in a, I was working in a store and a guy was mad at me about something and he walked up to me and punched me in the face. Oh my I was God. Shocked. I was shocked. What I was shocked about was it didn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always worried about it, and it didn't hurt. It knocked my glasses on the ground, and that was it. And I, wa I remember I walked out of the store right behind him. He was getting in his car. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm just getting your license plate number to give to the cops so they can come arrest you. You know, you want to punch me again and see if it still hurts? And then he swore at me and left. But 
you know, it, I was the biggest, the biggest shock wasn't that he hit me is that it, it didn't hurt. And it, 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 you know, we've been at this now about an hour. So Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else that message that you'd love to give to the world? Cause there's around 8 billion people on this planet and they're all going to see this. What do you want to tell? Uh, there's one detail about my herpes story. Then when the, I actually broke the silence for the first time, I was so terrified to tell the girl every time because we we're not going to have sex or whatever. She's going to reject me. And I was going through my mind. So that's right. After I came out from the ayahuasca retreat, I was in a festival with this girl. We're just about to have, you know, some intimate time. And I was like, you know what? F it. I'm just going to tell her. So I turned to her and I said, Hey, I have herpes. And she's like, <gasps> me too. And I was like, I stopped. I was just like, I couldn't even think. I was like, I've been terrified for 10 years of the answer, the rejection that someone's going to give me because of that. And the first thing that she says, she's actually excited about it. And because of that, she wants me even more. I, I, I just can't even think anymore. You know what I mean? It just blew me away. So yeah, just go so for that, it. What you want to tell everybody just about when they're about to have sex is tell the girl you have herpes because you got to go for it, right? Exactly. Well, I had to be true to myself. I had to be true to myself. And that's, that's what I went for. I went to, I went for being true to myself. Okay. Thank you very much for being a great guest on the winning pitch broadcast. Jeremy, thanks a lot for being uh, such a willing guest to talk about portions of your life that are not necessarily easy, but that's what our, uh, our listeners need to hear. And let's do it again sometime. Absolutely, Tom. And thank you for hosting. Thank you for putting yourself out there and creating a stage where you get to share your knowledge and your wisdom with, uh, with, with strangers and some people you know. Thank you again. All right. So we'll see you next time. That's the end of this broad podcast. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm invested in your business and personal success, and I hope you found this episode of the podcast insightful. If you or your business is ready to grow, check out my website, 10 Excellence. This is the way that you do that. The number 10, then xlenz.com. Be sure to follow me and send questions on Facebook at Arrow and Marine Tax Professionals and on Twitter and YouTube at Thomas Alston. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on our next episode.